Hi, I'm Mara. Hi, I'm Derek. And I'm Jim, and this is Topic Lords, the only place on the internet you can hear topics discussed. Mara, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, my name is Mara. I live in Connecticut. I am married to the other guest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm a rare book librarian. I have a four-year-old, and I would like to plug the app Libby, which, um, if you don't know it, it's really cool. It's a free app. And if you put in your library card number, it connects you to all of the electronic holdings that your public library, often the county system holds. Hmm. So you can get, you know, ebooks and you can reserve and access ebooks and audiobooks on your phone directly. It's really cool. It's a really good way to use your public library without leaving your house or actually entering a public library. Right. Very neat. Yeah. So if you like books, but you don't want to hold physical books, then Libby is great. What if I like reading books on my phone, but I need to read books uh, in, in like the bound paper form so that my toddler sees that I'm reading books rather than just looking at my phone? No, oh, yeah. That's a serious problem. I mean, I would get one of those hollowed out books from like a, a Poirot novel or something like that and yeah. just... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> where the flask goes or the vial of poison that's where you put yeah. your that's where you put your your phone <laughs> your child will think you read books but only that one book so <laughs> right yes oh, the the vial of poison book right <laughs> and god help you if he ever wants to read it himself right right then the secret's out i can just show him how to use the e-reader at that point <laughs> <laughs> or the vial of poison <laughs> <laughs> right and Derek, would you like to introduce yourself or do you have anything to plug? Uh, my name is Derek. Hello. Uh, I also live in Connecticut. I also uh, have a four-year-old. I live with a, a rare book librarian. I'm a, I'm a technologist and uh, a product manager at a nonprofit software company. And I would like to plug today another book-themed plug because... That's, that's apparently what we're going with, a archive called LibriVox. LibriVox is an online archive where people uh, read public domain books uh, and then publish the sound files in the public domain. So if you lean more towards audiobooks and you don't want to get um, something from the library or you don't want to have an uh, Audible account, you can listen to some pretty great old-timey public domain books and like the voice actors are are superb um well yeah they're good <laughs> some of them some of them are good you know so it's like it's it's all veering towards the old stuff but i i was in a book club and we had to read frankenstein and uh you know somebody read frankenstein and isn't I, that the one that sounded like speech to text well you know your speech to text is my uh perfect voice mara or text to so, speech i guess yeah it's the other way around but it's really good. And I just finished another audiobook, which was from like 1950. It was uh, originally published in Galaxy News. And it was it was such a or Galaxy News, I think Galaxy Sci-Fi. Um, and it was such a 1950s book, like these square jawed scientists were taking on the world and, and you know, neither the government nor their their frail wives could hold them back. And it was, <laughs> you know, it was quite the 1950s experience. 
So LibriVox, great place to get audiobooks. Very cool. Very cool. Are uh, you ready to start on some topics? Sure. Let's do it. Uh, Derek, your topic is, should we spare our children from our own game nostalgia? <laughs> All right. So as we mentioned, Mara and I have a four-year-old. And in addition to teaching uh, this child right from wrong and uh, how to read and basic multiplication at this point, um, I feel like, or I have felt like it's been my duty to, you know, curate his video game experiences so he knows the good stuff. Right. Like, we don't want him playing second-rate video games when there's so much good stuff out there. So, of course, I'm like, yeah, and Mara's giving me the look. Uh, there are other considerations <laughs> at play as Nope. <laughs> but, so, this is the thing. Like, I, my instinct is to try to, like, show him a whole bunch of games that I really enjoyed when I st first started video games. And, you know, I've got my um, Nintendo 64, and I've got my PlayStation and GameCube, and I, I want to show him a lot of these games but of course like he's looking at these things and he's kind of scratching his head and saying like why are we why are we playing this it's blurry <laughs> why are we playing yeah. wind waker when we could play breath of the wild right it's uh, like the most common you, example why are we playing wind waker when we could be playing the wind waker remaster for wii u <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> why are we we using this thing where you actually have to plug in a controller and i can't like run all over the house while i'm i'm playing I, so that's the question I'm, I'm throwing out there. Like, maybe these games are fantastic to me, like, in large part because I was playing them and now they're, like, loaded with meaning because I think fondly back on, on these video games. But maybe I shouldn't be trying to, like, push them on him. Maybe he should just, like, you know, discover them in his own time. But right now he's, like, in 20 years, he's going to uh, be turning and looking at his own kid and saying... Minecraft or Rocket League or whatnot, and and his kids will be rolling their eyes and saying, "What are what are games where you have to use your hands?" That sounds ridiculous. <laughs> it's like a baby's toy, <laughs> right? Right. Yeah, uh, this is a topic that's near and dear to my heart, and it's come up several times over the course of this show. Most recently, and this kind of threw me for a loop. A friend of mine talked about how he bought a. Super Nintendo Classic thinking like, I'm going to play all my favorite Super Nintendo games with my kid who is six mm. and ended up not playing any of them specifically because he realized that those games are just entertainment mm -hmm. and that you can do better. And so, he was, he's been playing Myst with his kid Ooh, um, nice. because Myst is at least slightly edifying. Mm -hmm. They're the equivalent of like eating a eating candy or eating you know junk food uh and the kid's gonna eat a lot of junk food no doubt but how important really is it that it be the same junk food that you ate when you were a kid right right i'm certainly going to be playing games in front of my son and if he picks up on them then i'll be happy to play them with him but if he doesn't like i i'm, I'm gonna guide his you know so th there's a lot of Nowadays, a lot of, I think, um, games that are designed like to prey on gambling addiction and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm definitely going to be, you know, on the lookout for that sort of thing. Like it, there's, there's going to be a guiding hand here for sure. But 
personally, like, in this, and, and I'm talking about just, just since that podcast I recorded last week with Tim, where he told me this anecdote, my new plan is to, like, be pretty hands-off in terms of, like, what games I'm going to try to get him to play. Yeah. Yeah. But before that, uh, my, my previous plan. <laughs> but let me tell you what I've actually been doing. <laughs> I haven't, haven't, haven't done this. And, and I wasn't even really seriously considering it, but like in my head, I had this plan of like keeping this kid off of the internet and introducing him step by step through the years of game development, like starting with the Atari 2600 in 1977 or whatever it was. <laughs> And it would be faster than real time, accelerated, but like, right. you know, you get like a, a new game every week uh, and you have, that's, sorry, you can only play this game that week. That's brilliant. <laughs> it's, it's brilliant, but at the same time, I have a really hard time imagining how Riker would take to that. Well, so that's the thing. He wouldn't, he wouldn't know. If he doesn't know any better, like. We could blow the, his okay. mind. Yeah. The thing is, the thing is, we're not the only people that he plays games around. And this is, I think, maybe like... Well, the cat's out of the bag, right? He's he's the, already... The cat's out of the bag now, but even if we played no other games around him, which would be pretty much impossible, <laughs> um, you know, he spends a lot of time with my parents, and my parents play Pokemon Go all the time. <laughs> so, <laughs> And he'll think his grandparents have cutting-in te technology. But, like, how amazing would it be if you could pull it off? Like, what a gift that would be to... To completely clone yourself, like indistinguishable. <laughs> and and you get to like... No mistakes were made in this gaming trajectory. <laughs> but think about it. Like, there's always kind of that thrill of excitement when the next generation is out and you're like, oh man, 128 bit. Like, this is amazing. And like, oh yeah. my God. Like, and you get to accelerate that and mash it all into a single six month experience or something like that. So another, yeah, I guess. And then you'll have questions about why it plateaued, like technology like, and stopped well, developing. I guess hardware is a real problem with that too, right? Because I'm thinking back to the games that I played mostly as a kid and they were all educational discs on CD-ROM that like we played on early Macs. Yeah. And I don't think I have access to a machine. Actually at work, there's a lab that is like the graveyard of old obsolete computers that we use to like play or convert old uh old files but mm -hmm. so maybe i'd have to sneak into that lab at work <laughs> but otherwise i don't know how i would play a carmen san diego cd-rom you know what i mean yeah like maybe emulation but yeah you know i honestly like my my advice would be like go see what they have on archive.org mm -hmm. because they have built-in emulation for a lot of old computer stuff just on the web yeah yeah, that's interesting. I know the technology exists because this is like, this is how digital preservation works at like an institutional level, but I guess I haven't seen it in the wild. Yeah. Like not, thinking back on it, I'm actually not, I'm not sure my gaming trajectory was the best thing for a child <laughs> because like in my, in my twenties, for throughout my twenties, mostly playing games where you murder a thousand people a minute and like, that's not good for a person. Yep. Yep. I was looking back at my um, my CD wallet for Xbox and it's 90% first person shooters. All the yeah. Halo games, Call of Duty, Left 4 Dead, very violent <laughs> era of, of gameplay. And now I barely ever play shooters. I mean, I still do like socially sometimes, yeah. but m most of the time the games that I gravitate towards are 
much gentler. <laughs> yeah. Derek likes to be isolated, wandering in a sad soundscape somewhere. <laughs> right. Like Oh, that sounds that sounds perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Are there any games that you would unplay in retrospect? Oh. I mean, if I had the ability to unplay a game, I would unplay a game that I love so I could play it again. Mm. Oh, okay. But like as a like a game that I think had an especially bad influence on me. Yeah. World of Warcraft. Mm, interesting. Mm, yeah. I might unplay League of Legends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, World of Warcraft I think had a negative impact on like I think I lost a job because of it. Mm. Wow. And I think it may have had a like long-term impact on my product on my like hobby productivity. Mm-hmm. It's hard to t- say for sure because I was also just depressed because I lost my job. Yeah. <laughs> right. So they blend together. There's always so many variables with, with the media you consume and why. I never got deeply into World of Warcraft, but I did. The, the MMO that I almost got sucked into was EVE Online. But the thing is that that game, you know, if you haven't played it, uh, audience, it's like a massive space-based game where they have uh it's the most complicated game out there right like there's an in-game economy run by three real world economists it's like a macroeconomics course set in space right like people do scientific (laughs) studies on it but it's stressful like (laughs) i'd go into like i'd go into to null sec and and be in a area of space where there was no law and i could lose everything on my ship and frequently did yeah and like i there's there are some games where in order to get the full experience and i think this is the case with wow as as well like you really have to invest a lot of time to like build your character out and i never could get myself to the point where like i i actually was willing to like suffer loss if you like lose a ship or you get caught by a patrol your whole day in real life is ruined right maybe even several days and for some of these people they lose actual money yeah. Right, right. Because all the resources in game can be I don't know if I don't know if you can legitimately export it into into real world currency, but certainly de facto you can. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that the game where you can like assign yourself a skill to be practicing while you're offline? Yes. And so like if you forget about the game for ten years and you come back and you're like a grandmaster whittler. <laughs> That's the one. What are you working on right now? I think I'm. I'm working on. I don't like Jim's. Jim's right on the money. It gets like very obscure and very focused. So I'm probably like working on something essential for a ship that I will never fly. It's just like joystick twiddling uh, or something. (laughs) Turning left. (laughs) I didn't go to turning left school for five years. Do you have any idea how hard it is to become a space emperor only turning right? <laughs> Unprotected lefts are even worse in a hard vacuum. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Uh, are we ready for another topic? Yeah, let's sure. do it. Mara, your topic is working libraries of famous people getting acquired by institutions. Okay, so this is like kind of work-related for me. Um, and I didn't know this before I started to work in a rare book library, but... A lot of the books that we get in and the personal papers are the result of a famous person dying and then all of the books and papers in their house being lifted, either, you know, sold by their estate or... Airlifted. 
<laughs> or, or sometimes, um, and sometimes curators will actually go to the house and take books out in boxes themselves. But yeah, so the the whole library, all the books in your house come and get transferred to the library. And then they're all like cataloged and sometimes physically kept together. And these books are theoretically valuable to scholars as a snapshot of the life and the working library and the inspiration of this famous poet or artist or politician who has just died. Right. Right. So I don't know when I had thought if I had thought at all about rare book libraries before I started working at one, I sort of assumed that it was all like, you know, the doomsday book or the the Gutenberg, the, yeah, the Gutenberg Bible or the Voynich <laughs> manuscript or something that are, were on sale at an auction and people with monocles, you know, bidding millions and millions of dollars for them. But mm-hmm. actually, a lot of what it is, is is like estate planning, a snapshot being taken of that person's life from the books in their house at the time of their death. So it's just it's an interesting thing to think about in terms of like, if your books were raptured right now and right. like a hundred years in the future, scholars were looking at them or not just your books, but like all of the media in your house, right? The videos, the cassette tapes, the, the CDs or vinyl, if you have it, whatever. Um, if that all gets raptured and it ends up at Harvard or Yale or wherever and a hundred years in the future, somebody is trying to like figure out, what your life was like at this time. And this is all the evidence they have. (laughs) What picture is it going to paint? Right. Yeah. So in your case, Mar, like if scholars were looking at this room, they would be looking at the board game uh, therapy and then under that wits and wagers. Well, so these are not my books and games. We are not in a room that has my books and games. But like, They don't know that. No, but seriously. So it occurs to me that like if this happened to me and all my books were raptured and a hundred years in the future, people were trying to figure out, you know, well, she wrote the great American novel. What made her tick? And they find in my working library that I have like autographed copies of the Twilight novels. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Ah. (laughs) Mm, Yes. What an influence. So I don't know. I mean, this is this may be. I guess I'm thinking about it in terms of books, but it could really be pretty much anything. Yeah. The one one thing I was going to ask is, well, if you if this person had like a thousand books on Amazon Kindle, you're going to have a hard time, I think, getting Amazon to transfer ownership to the library. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's certainly true. But you might be able to pull down a list. And how useful to you is just a list of all media that this person had in their house? Yeah, that's a good point. It might actually in some ways be more useful <laughs> in some cases. Because it's already organized and, and digitized right. and you can get all the metadata. And... But you you wouldn't get like the, the Twilight autograph. <laughs> right. Well, that's the thing is I guess the difference between my library right now and the working library of like a great poet is, <laughs> is that they may have meaningful like annotations and letters and, and autographs on works. Whereas, like, the autographs I have on my works are not meaningful. They, I, may, I may have gotten, like, a Barnes & Noble autographed copy for Christmas or something like that. But they're not reflective of, of relationships that I had or... 
Yeah. Or even necessarily the relative importance of the book to me, as illustrated by the Twilight example. Yeah. Which is an actual, I, I do have signed copies, but they're not things that I have even looked at since. So do you feel that the... <laughs> it's protecting me from that one. <laughs> <laughs> do you feel that the books and media that you've consumed and that are in our house right now represent you? Hmm. Or do we need to go out and buy a, a few more well, okay, copies of so Proust? Okay, so this is another thing. We've combined our books. Right. And this is often a problem, is mm. you'll get, like, a library from... You'll get a working library from, uh, you know, an artist. And that also contains the books and papers of all of the live-in partners that that artist has had in the past, you know, in the last decade of his or her life. And you can't really... I mean, the artist theoretically owns them all, but they're not really theirs. They're not representative of that person's mind. Yeah, right. not necessarily. They're, so it's it's kind of, um, in that sense, having a list may be less useful than like going through the books and actually seeing. Like, is, is there thumbprint on it? Right. right. So, is there a coffee stain from a well-loved book as right. opposed to this thing that's never been opened? Yeah, and sometimes there's damage that's interesting, too. I just cataloged... Cheeto hands. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I cataloged a collection of books from this surrealist artist named Leonor Fini, and she was really interesting. She was a contemporary of Salvador Dali, and she lived with... She had a lot of lovers and lived usually with multiple people at a time with kind of unclear definitions about relationships between them that is kind of hard to track when all you've got is like, not that this is all we've got about her life, but um, when I am just looking at like autographs or inscriptions in a book, it's kind of hard to track who's who and mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> who's what. Um, but one of the funny things about her collection is that is every single book is covered in white Persian cat hair. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently she had like this enormous number of white Persian cats over the course of her life. And the fur stays on the book. This is like these books have, have really just been lifted from her apartment. And so I guess in that sense, that damage is like gives you a really good picture yeah. of what it was like to live in that apartment. <laughs> yeah, that's really funny. Jim, how about you? Do you feel like your stuff represents you? Um, if you go through like my hard drive, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking about, um, so the Video Game History Foundation has been doing this thing where they, as far as I can tell, they're like, they're just collecting game source code and not even making it available. Just, they just want to have it hmm. so that it doesn't get lost forever. Yeah. So like if a company is, is like, well, we don't want to, uh, we don't want to give away our source code because there are secrets in there. They can give it to the Video Game History Foundation, just to, to keep for, for safekeeping. So, like, when when this company goes out of business... Yeah, and the IP expires and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then it, it's not lost. It's still, like, this is a beloved game, uh, and then we have this archive of how it was made. And so, for example, um, uh, Ron Gilbert gave a talk, like, where he went with Frank Cifaldi. They went together through the Monkey Island source code there was a, there's this like four hour YouTube video of them like pointing out interesting things about it, but you can't actually get the source code. <laughs> and as far as I know, you can't like go to physically go to the video game history foundation and like look at it either to study it, which would be cool. Yeah. This is really um, familiar. Did they talk about this in high score? Uh, 
No, that that documentary. I haven't I haven't seen High Score, but that came out before the talk I'm talking about. But I'm sure they talked about game preservation in general. Uh, I know what you're talking about. In High Score, uh, there was a a guy who was talking about a a video game that he made of which there were very few copies, but it was oh yeah yeah. And he he had to like and he, ask the internet, does anyone have a copy of this? Right. And I don't. I lost my master file. Yeah. And it's it's a really interesting problem. I mean, games are so often like platform specific. I also just think about like how the games that are dependent on online functionality and like dedicated servers and whatnot that those are really going to be you're you're not going to be able to really preserve or experience that again. I think there. I saw a notification that. Um, Xbox 360 services for like the Halo games are going to be retired soon. You know, so like for some people, Halo is is the single player game. But for a lot of other people, particularly the people who are still playing Halo multiplayer, like that's the game. That's the experience. And, you know, it might be resurrected in some sort of re-release, re-release, Supermaster edition. But that specific sensation is probably going to go away yeah yeah and and online games are especially hard to preserve like if you you have like a single player game and you in a hundred years you set up an emulator and you run the game and you play the game that's pretty much like you're not going to have the cultural context for of the person who played it a hundred years before you but you're going to get pretty much the experience that they got but if you take a multiplayer game, especially like an MMO or a game with like where so much like a Halo, where so much of the online is the the matchmaking where you're always playing against new people. Yeah, that's it's impossible to rip to replicate that. Like once that's once that's down or and then like for something like uh, the Sims online, which went down like 10 years ago, I think what you what we have preserved is like video. Mm hmm. Yeah. And people's stories. And that's it. Like, even if you got the the server source code and set it up and you got the client source code and you set it up, you're running around alone in that world at that point. Yeah. It's interesting. There's, um, I mean, you mentioned archive.org. There's a, another nonprofit associated with it called Permanent, where its basic idea is, like, we're going to offer to preserve your content for all time. I mean, for all time is a is a big thing, but like they're they're looking for for super long term as in long perpetuity. as perpetuity. In perpetuity. They mean it for all future time. <laughs> <laughs> right. But uh it, it's an interesting model because they're um sustaining themselves through an endowment. So as long as there is an economy, the servers will continue to be running. It's not you don't have to rely on like you know, them having subscription-based model or like a big business plan well, or something like that. Not just an economy, though. It has to be a specific kind of economy to support an endowment structure. I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> who knows like, how money like works, Like, in a world though. where we're all just trading nudes, I don't know that, like, an endowment works. <laughs> it just has to be the most amazing nude. <laughs> To keep the servers running, <laughs> to, you need a re, you need a return of a certain number of nudes per year in order to keep. 
<laughs> I imagine it like signing on and getting like the Wikipedia request for for donations. <laughs> Please, it's that time of year. We Send found us your nudes. <laughs> we found a partner who will match who will match our nudes. If you just give us five nudes, they will give us five nudes. <laughs> Becomes the future currency. I love it. Uh, sorry, we, we we started talking about video games again, which is a, a continuing problem for me. <laughs> that, no, that's okay. I mean, it like it the digital preservation thing is a really natural link, and for what it's worth, it's it's also like part of my work as well. Yeah, sure, sure, yeah. And we have another topic later on if we get to it about video games too. So, oh it's, yeah, it's near and dear to our hearts. Several more, yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, are we ready for another topic? Let's do it. My topic is Winston's latest thing is that before peeing in the potty, he'll find a hairball on the floor and put it in the potty so that he can pee on it. Uh, we never told him about toilet mimics. He just figured it out. Toilet. Wait, I'm sorry. Toilet mimics? <laughs> okay. Sorry. This is a, I'm hypothesizing a monster that appears to be a toilet, but it's actually a creature that wants to drink your pee. Oh, yeah. I see. And he just figured it out all by himself, did he? So, so you're <laughs> saying that in addition to, like, giving him pee, he's also feeding him. Right. The mimic. Right. I see. Well, okay. All right. Counter theory. <laughs> <laughs> I, there, are, there are people who suggest for potty training children with penises that one of the ways you can do it is to float something in the toilet like Cheerios. I've yeah. heard. And then to have them... It's always a Cheerio. People just love peeing on Cheerios for well, some reason. I guess it's because whatever you put in the toilet is going down your toilet pipes. Right. So <laughs> so probably Hit M&Ms this. are less good. Marbles it, less it good. Be, Hit the ball bearing, kiddo. It could be cereal, though. It could be like a... Could be like a Fruit Loop, right? Yeah, sure, sure. I mean, do you think they did studies? It could be a Honey Nut Cheerio. Yeah, like did they choose Cheerios because of their target-like shape? Or their uh, yeah, maybe maybe you get extra points if you get it through the middle of the Cheerio. They probably dedicated quite <laughs> yeah. a bit of science to this. <laughs> Listen, so, we tried every cold cereal. <laughs> we never tried that too much no, with, with our own. Well, that was never that was never really the uh, the sticking point with potty training experience. But it was definitely suggested to me a couple of times, um, and I can see. I, I think the idea is that you're supposed to like. You know, just use it as target practice. Mm -hmm. Gamified, as it were. But I've always thought, I'm not 100% sure this is behavior I want to encourage. <laughs> <laughs> this is not like bathroom behavior that seems like a good model well, for the future. In general, I mean, you want you want your, your children to have good aim. Well, supposedly, like, adding a target helps adults have good aim, too. Right. Right. Wait. Say more about that. <laughs> Have they done studies? Are there studies? I, I believe there are. I can't remember if this part was a study or not, but I remember somebody talking about like putting a, the decal, a decal of a fly on the back of the toilet, on the inside of the toilet, and men would instinctually try to hit the fly. Oh my goodness. Interesting. You men are so complicated. <laughs> I always want to piss on flies. <laughs> Comes from our roots on the savanna. Men only want one thing, and it's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> well, so this is this is the thing. Like at one point, I knew how I was going to take the world by storm, 
and I it was going to be by <laughs> trick pissing abilities. Yeah, like monetizing urination. Uh, and I wanted yeah. to like yeah. develop a urinal for like a bar, which which had like some sort of a, a touch screen or something like that. But you'd you'd play with your pee, obviously, and like. You'd go have a couple of drinks and then go to the bar and see if you could get a high score in like breakout or something like yeah. that, you know? And I feel like that would be something that would really encourage people to probably, probably over drink really just because they're like, hold on, I got to get the high score <laughs> and, and figuring out how to like make a game, adapt games to this one <laughs> to a urinal situation <laughs> right but, you know like one button games like you you gotta figure out how to adapt like can you play street fighter with p yeah there's definitely an alternate reality where video games like they were just they were always the pissing games and nowadays like you have like 500 dollars home consoles mm -hmm. that you can only play when you have to pee <laughs> <laughs> uh, and like there are these fringe developers who are like making games that you play with your thumbs instead and everybody's like that's not even a game you don't even, you don't even piss on it <laughs> I don't understand at all it's yeah. so primitive <laughs> no it's it's interesting and and I feel like it's an untapped market but every uh, every investor I pitched it to has laughed me out of the room so well it just because an idea is funny doesn't mean it's a bad investment. <laughs> <laughs> what other what other products are there that we think are hilarious but are obviously good ideas? Oh, Jim is great at this. He's been doing that for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't mean I can come up with one off the top of my head, though. <laughs> Now's your moment. Time to shine. The, moment, the one that I'm thinking of that... Uh, is not my idea, and I also can't remember if I've discussed it on the podcast recently, so apologies to the listeners if you've heard this one before. But uh, I was at a uh, – this was like 10 years ago. I was at a party that was like in a house full – that was rented by like 10 different tech workers, so it was a huge like mansion type deal. Really, really, really nice house. And – the the attendees there were like commensurately like very embedded in the VC culture. You know, we're like the people working at startups or trying to get startup funding. And I was cornered by this guy who had this idea and I never figured out if he was serious or not. <laughs> but he described his idea for a toilet seat that vibrates at the brown note. <laughs> As in, it will make you go. Yes. I got to say, that would be very useful in potty training. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or just for adults, too, frankly. Yeah. Oh, my God. Like, that would that would solve so many issues. Because, like, for, for kids especially, you know, half the battle is getting them to sit down. And then the other half is getting them to do what they came for, you know? Yeah. It, our strategy has tended to be, like, playing a waiting game. So, we'll come with, like... <laughs> comic books and, and video games <laughs> can't be too distracting because then he'll just sit there for hours but like if we had something that could like get him to to do what he came for uh we would <laughs> we would be quite pleased i have to say though i like in that sort of scenario or in a scenario where people are not expecting it You'd have to have signage, right? Because otherwise, I think it becomes a consent issue. Right. <laughs> right. 
would have to be like, you know, big like sirens, auga, auga, <laughs> this is about to happen. <laughs> this, this, is, this also came up on the podcast recently, but apparently in Japan, it's common to train children to pee at a whistle tone. Oh, interesting. Oh, like, like the Von Trapps. <laughs> oh, is that a thing? <laughs> well, the Von Trapps come to a whistle. They have individual whistle They're They're more tones. singing and dancing, but, you know, the principle is the same. <laughs> but, they're, but they're peeing while they're doing it. <laughs> right. We can only imagine. We don't know. I'm struggling to see the utility for that one beyond just, like, crippling revenge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You never know. It's a hard pitch, I think. <laughs> or the an thing, easy one, I guess, depending on who you're pitching to. I, I guess I wouldn't. I mean, when I went to Japan, uh, I was like 16 and the bathrooms were very, very nice. You had toilets that were heated that had all sorts of functions. So like I can imagine adding this one extra feature of like playing the correct tone would just be to like complement what is already a fairly large suite of options. Yeah, but right. I- ideally, it would be something that you select yourself, like, oh, from, yeah. a, from a menu or, right. <laughs> or a keypad. Right. The toilet just has to have a phone, and then you can call your mom, and then she can whistle over the phone. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, that That actually seems like a good two-factor... Uh, <laughs> this is how you two-factor authenticate. <laughs> right. Are you sure that you want this better? <laughs> And and is your mom sure that it's time to poop? <laughs> right. This would be helpful for Winston as well. Yeah. No. Th- <laughs> this is the sort of ethical design question that we need today's people in Silicon Valley to be thinking about. Is this feature destroying democracy and is it safe enough? Uh, then my Wi-Fi is down so I can't poop. <laughs> <laughs> and this becomes like a form of, you know, cyber attack. Like, yes, the yeah. Americans, this is how we'll destroy the economy, will mess up their their tax system and also deny them the option to poop. Sounds like a white paper you could write for work and and call it the brown paper. (laughs) (laughs) What is it that you think I do exactly? (laughs) Are we ready for another topic? I think we're ready. This is a write-in. John asks, in watching my three-year-old developer's sense of comedy... I have realized that comedy might actually be a kind of innate human reaction to interesting incongruity. She likes toilet humor quite a lot, despite my partner and I never liking those kinds of jokes. However, I think she likes it because it's very easy for her her to understand something like singing happy happy birthday to poop, whereas other subtler kinds of humor are out of her reach right now. Yeah. So this is interesting because, well, for many reasons, but (laughs) the reason that comes first to mind is that I'm pretty sure... That our child, Riker, also sang happy birthday to poop. He, he like went through a phase where he was both really into the happy birthday song and thinking poop was really funny. Right. So it was a natural mm-hmm. confluence. Right. Yeah. So, so I think this is like a pretty common phenomenon. Yeah. Well, I mean, the idea of a poop like lasting long enough to be a year old is <laughs> intrinsically funny. I'm not sure it goes that far. Okay. Mentally. I don't mean, Maybe I don't I'm overthinking it. <laughs> Maybe not though. Like all of a sudden, is, it, I have... is the funny part how the how is the poop going to blow out the candles? <laughs> I think the funny part may be the looks on the parents' faces when they say it. Okay, this... all right. <laughs> is the poop surrounded by friends and family? What sort of birthday party is going on? 
Does the poop smell like a monkey and look like one too? <laughs> this the poop joke just keeps on giving. I like not to be that person and and try and butcher Freud on a podcast, but there are other explanations here beyond you know how humor develops in Freudian theory of child development. There's a there's a fecal stage, and then other people have used this theory to develop something called the theory of objection, which I'm also going to butcher, but generally is when something comes out of your body like vomit or poop and you recognize it as the self but not the self like it is of you but it is not you it's the the sort of understanding of the the distance between the self and the other and and the blurring of those lines and this is like this is like a developmental stage huh. to some extent so i i think that there's like not that like Freud is the most modern and relevant psychoanalyst I could be talking about here, but like I think there's there's also probably someone who knows more about this could explain that there is science behind like kids being obsessed with poop at this age. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I like I, I was saying, <laughs> I guess what this serves to illustrate: Are there balloons at this party? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a, it's a really it's a really good point. I mean, like. We find things funny for a reason, I think. Yeah, I, I I would have to imagine that it has some sort of, like, humor has to have some sort of evolutionary purpose. And my guess is that the things you find are funny, they have to be interesting in a specific way. Like, that, you have to learn something from them. Yeah. And then that's why, like, something isn't funny twice, because you've already learned the lesson. Right. But the, the write-in uh, writer... Uh, was saying it's it's surprising incongruity, and I think that that's putting the the finger on the head, especially with kids. The finger on the head. What am I <laughs> what am I saying? Riker really is getting to the point today, even where he really enjoys taking the lyrics to a song and then changing the lyrics <laughs> yeah. to rhyme. Yes. Right? So we made this gingerbread house um, that was really structurally unsound, like just a, an architect's nightmare. Like the walls are caving in and the the shingles are all falling off and sliding down in like an icing avalanche. And so I forget who it was. It was probably me. Start singing like there's some holes in this house. There's some holes in this house in like the the style of WAP. So now Riker is like still singing. This is like several weeks later. He He's singing, there's some holes in this house. And then he'll evolve it to be like, there's some holes in this mouse. There are some voles in this louse. You know, he'll like, it's definitely like a very specific form of parody where just a couple phonemes are changed. And the result is not funny to anybody, but the person singing it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and he's giggling away. As yeah, he, he thinks it's great. <laughs> We, we had the same thing with Holly Jolly Christmas, and it's Holy Jolly Christmas or whatever. Like. <laughs> Howly Jolly. Howly Jolly. You really like the Howly Jolly. And then there were some jowls in the house. <laughs> I'm trying to think of like what kind of comedy does Winston like, and I don't think he really he, – he does funny things all the time, but they're funny to adults, you right. know? right. I think he giggles when he anticipates like enjoying something is is currently where he's at with laughter. But like my favorite Winston joke recently was his uh, his nana taught him how to knock on doors and the the interaction of like someone asking who is it and then answering. But he kind of misunderstood who what like what the purpose of that is. So like 
he'll knock on a door and I'll be standing behind him and I'll say, who is it? And he'll turn around and say, he'll say, it's Dada. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so cute. <laughs> and another good interaction was when he wanted to throw something away. He was trying to open the trash cabinet. He said, Dada, help open cabinet. As I was walking over there, he said, knock, 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 and knocked on the cabinet. <laughs> and I said, who is it? And then I opened the cabinet and he said, it's some trash. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, um, I mean, I guess it's obvious, but like when, when I think of machine learning, like it's, you know, something happening and technically that's accurate, but it's, it's missing the, the point Sometimes like a, a program will like analyze something and give you it delivers an output that meets the rules that you gave, but is still completely nonsensical. And with kids and I, I guess all and sometimes people. that's hilarious. Yeah. And I think it's hilarious because it's teaching you what you didn't understand about your own model. Yeah. Yeah. An early version of that machine learning algorithm, what's it called? GPT-2. We were laughing over this together. One of our friends shared it with us and we gave it a prompt around like the the Democratic 2020 primary and it referred to Pete Buttigieg as Pete Booty Bajiji. <laughs> Booty Bajiji, right. Wow. I had no idea how to pronounce that name. Well, <laughs> well it's not Buttigieg. <laughs> Never heard it. Well, either it was either one of the pronunciations correct. Buttigieg. Buttigieg. Really? Yes. Yeah. Because Dajeg... Actually, I forget. I forget the origins of this. In in Arabic, Dajaj oh is chicken. Um, <laughs> so uh, he's a butt chicken. So uh, I think it's of chicken or with chicken or something like okay. that is the is the root. I do not know this for certain, but that's the very first interview it I had. Really with him. unlikely to be. <laughs> not, okay. not, the, not the Arabic part, but the that this is the root of his name. Well, I, I didn't come on to Topic Lords to be an expert on anything, Mar. So I'm going to declare it with confidence. and Back it up with Wikipedia. <laughs> back it up with Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think another thing that's interesting about, like, trying to understand the humor of kids is is understanding that, like, your humor doesn't translate to them as much as, like, the other way around, Right. <laughs> the other day, Derek, and this this is like an, a very hyper obvious example of this. But the other day, like Riker was eating cinnamon toast and he got cinnamon toast like all like he bit into a whole piece of bread and got cinnamon like all over his mouth in like a wide pattern. And so Derek makes a dark night joke and looks at him and goes, why so serious or whatever. And um, Riker is just like blinking at him. And <laughs> I'm, I'm imagining that that happens a lot. That sort of thing happens a lot in reverse to him where he makes jokes that he thinks are the, the funniest things <laughs> in the world. And we just blink at him. You know? <laughs> Aha. Okay. Not to not to divert. Maybe we can edit this right. in post or something. But Buttigieg um, is a Maltese name derived from Sicilian Arabic, meaning chicken owner or poulterer, literally father of chickens. Huh? Well, my apologies. You were right. Father of chickens. I feel like that should have been on his uh, that should have been on his campaign branding more. <laughs> <laughs> Would have helped him win the, the agricultural sector. The, the absurdist sector. <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> As they ride into town on their their tricycles. <laughs> their epic mounts. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Dad humor is humor all of its own, though, because it is 
Specifically, the joke is I I am aware of something that you do not know, but I'm going to be joking about it anyway. I'm going to be making In references. In a way that entices you to laugh, even without knowing what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you laugh because it takes the form of a joke. Right. Right. A slight lean forward, a twinkle in your eye. <laughs> Dad. <laughs> Are we ready for another topic? Sure. Let's do it. Mara, your topic is toddlers who secretly compete in pro gaming tournaments. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, I guess this is like the toddler episode. That's the other thing that I always talk about on this show. Oh, we, we, don't, we don't have a cooking topic. Oh. Hmm. Well, <laughs> we can, we well, can work we might on get that. there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, basically, the, the root of this is, as we've touched on, Riker plays video games, um, and he is four. So... That's kind of weird and kind of funny often, um, but he's gotten really good at Rocket League, like huh. way better than me, which is not necessarily, that's not necessarily a hard like bar to overcome, but like definitely better than somebody who is not used to playing fidgety games, but has fully developed adult motor control. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, and like also like adult planning for the future. Yeah, exactly. And so we've been really impressed. And recently, Rocket League has started up this sort of tournament situation. Derek, I guess you know oh, what's yeah. going on there. Well, it's it's got like season one. I think Rocket League just got acquired by Epic. And now they're rebranding their, their competitive online multiplayer. And Riker's participating in it. <laughs> yeah. So he's like going into 1v1s with other online participants and will often win. And it's just kind of amazing to think that, about. Yeah, that's really intense. Yeah, it's it's impressive to think that he is doing this. And it's also, you know, those like triptychs where your brain is lighting up a little bit in the first panel and then a little more in the second. And then your brain is like exploding with light in the third. Mm -hmm. It's like... Realizing your four-year-old is good at Rocket League, realizing that some other poor sucker is losing to a four-year-old in Rocket League, <laughs> realizing that the other poor sucker might also, also be, be a four-year-old who's <laughs> better at you than Rocket League. And then the, the final like brain explosion is realizing that the entire competitive gaming scene of Rocket League <laughs> is people younger than five. Like, if you get to five, you've actually, like, you're on the old side of the scene. You're, you've aged out of the sport. The real Magnus Carlsen of Rocket League is, you know, two and a half. In the future, when uh, Rocket League is an Olympic sport, this is going to be something that, like, <laughs> people get booted out for lying about their age. <laughs> <laughs> I swear I'm only four. <laughs> Because like you were born on February 29th. You're going to have to be older than 13 to play Rocket League, but all the best amateurs are, <laughs> are in preschool. <laughs> so they're going to bring in, they're going to bring in like four-year-olds with, uh, I don't know what, what do 13-year-olds look like? <laughs> they're 13-year-old kid disguises. <laughs> right, yes. And it's just really interesting for me to see this happen because, you know, he's developing strategy sometimes like if he he spawns right next to the goal instead of racing forward to to get to be the first to hit the ball which i pretty much universally do he'll just wait for the ball to come to him and deflect it 
right? Because like he knows that if the person's coming head to head with him, it's going to go straight forward. Yeah, he's got like kind of an impressive grasp of the physics yeah. of the situation. And this is all made all the more impressive when like we see in almost every other element of his life that this child has no concept of strategy <laughs> in any other scenario. Getting gloves on, pretty hard to do. No, can't get the gloves on, can't get the shoes on, can't get his pants on. So, so motor control issues as well. But I think that uh, video games, like especially very simple games like Rocket League, are the perfect constrained environment for a child to excel in. Yeah. Like in Rocket League is is especially like I've never played it, but I've seen people play it and I think I I think I understand what's happening and in like Rocket League is there's almost nothing to it except how the the motion of the car like affects the, how the how the ball moves. It's almost all physics. Yeah, it is, but I I really I again, I know I am not like I don't have the most intuitive gaming skills, but I cannot emphasize how not intuitive the motions involved in Rocket League really are. It's actually super finicky and much harder than it than it looks, I think. That's fair. Like these are these are instincts about physics, like bodies in motion that adults have not honed. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so so I don't know. I I have just found it super super interesting to watch, and it's also super interesting to think about. Like, is this going to be a useful skill <laughs> moving forward? I don't know. It may be. That's a really good. Like when I'm thinking about what games, do, what skills do you get out of getting really good at a particular game, and if they if the skills aren't transferable to like. So I've heard people say that. Um, Playing Rocket League actually is very similar psychologically to how playing real life soccer feels. Mm, yeah. Mm. So that would be a skill he could transfer that to. And like then he's playing, a, he's getting exercise. Yeah. But I almost feel like you would get more value out of like being mediocre at a, at a game and playing it a lot than being really good at it. I definitely can see that. I almost hope that he isn't a, a savant with Rocket League and it like takes over his life. Well, you you have control over whether it takes over his life. Like <laughs> yet, oh. until he's eighteen, you can take this game away from him. This is this is spoken you can like also not that is a subject to send for debate. Him to the tournaments. Yeah, this is spoken like someone who's who who doesn't have a willful four year old under <laughs> under his. Uh, yeah, his, I mean, uh, Winston definitely makes his opinions known, but we're still bigger than him. Yeah, that's getting iffy with us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like he's really strong. He's really strong. So strong. <laughs> <laughs> it is kind of um he is also really tall and I we do look at him sometimes and and we're not we're not short. I'm, you know, 5'7 and Derek's over 6 foot, but we look at him and we're like you're probably going to be taller than us one day and like <laughs> seeing it in your head is like <laughs> seeing it well, in your yeah, head is he's going to He's probably going to reach that height, like, at his most wild and uncontrollable. Exactly. Mm -hmm. We still won't have figured out how to get him to sit still while we comb his hair. <laughs> Soon, he'll be a bulky 18-year-old, and he won't let us comb his hair. And we, At that point, we just do. have to let it go, I right. guess. I also am interested in things that he's clearly picking up from the internet that I didn't teach him about Rocket League because he plays as if 
Has he played? Has he said yeet to you? No, no, he hasn't said yeet, <laughs> but he does talk about noobs a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Oh, so we're talking like 1990s internet. Okay, he'll catch up. No, no, no. The thing is, he watches sometimes on YouTube. He'll watch videos of other kids playing it, right. and the other kids talk about noobs. So this is like current. And he is like, <laughs> okay, he is playing this game as if. He had a webcam on and he was going to like thousands of Twitch fans. Like mm-hmm. he was, he's reacting to things out loud. Yeah. Yeah. He is, um, you know, overreacting for, for effect. Like he's like, he'll like In, lose a goal. Instead of saying just, goodbye to people when you leave, he'll say, don't forget to like, comment and subscribe. No, honest <laughs> to God. Yes. He has done that. <laughs> and it, it's getting me worried that there's actually like a camera there that I don't know about. <laughs> <laughs> this has been the Truman Show this whole time. Right. Well, one of the other things that I think is funny about watching him play Rocket League competitively is that the chat in Rocket League, it's it's all these predetermined phrases that you can put in, right? You can't, it's not, it's not free text. It's, you can pick between like, wow, and nice shot and a series of, you know, symbols indicating a swear word. Time to die. <laughs> <laughs> and... <laughs> And so he just he he participates in the chat through button mashing. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so he's like learning what it looks like. Like he knows what it looks like to be a chat participant, but he doesn't actually understand what it's for. He doesn't understand <laughs> that you're using it to communicate to your teammates. He's just like, this is what people who stream do. <laughs> And and just jams the buttons without really looking. I mean, I think he can probably read. Oh yeah, what he is uh, like, what he's sending, except for the symbols, the unpronounceable symbols. So, do you think he doesn't know he's playing against other humans? No, I think he does sometimes. But it's he's just not trying to communicate with them. Like I, at one point, there's a there's a thing that's like no problem, um, which is. I don't know. I think they put it in there to say, like, if somebody says, sorry, then you say, no problem. It's okay. Right? Like, the whole idea is to assuage somebody else. But he got a goal at one point and then said, wow, no problem. And he's like, (laughs) I'm stating how easy this was for me to do. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It was no problem for me to make this goal. So, it, yeah. Watching watching a four-year-old grapple with social dynamics and just also like perform what he thinks it means to be a pro gamer right what his understanding of it looks like is right really interesting when he's alone in the living room streaming to the world this is also feeding back into whether or not i'm gonna force my kid to play super mario world before letting him on the internet for the record, uh, Riker's super into the Mario stuff. He, he re- well, some of it, I guess. Yeah. He didn't really like Galaxy very much. He never, we could never get him to stick with that. But he really likes Odyssey and he likes Super Mario Maker 2 is like, his, his often it's his number one game. What is Winston's current favorite game? Uh, Winston... So, in terms of video games, his his full extent of his interaction with uh, with video games is like when I was playing Mario Odyssey, I showed him that he could push this button to make Mario jump, mm-hmm. and I think he made the connection that he was making Mario on the screen jump. Ah, nice. you should have him be the hat. 
Oh, interesting thought. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I'll, we started I'll, Riker with it. And then he wanted to be I'll Mario himself eventually. But yeah. And, and it's a perfect control too, because if you give him like a little, um, Oh, I'm totally blanking on the, the name of the controllers, the small ones that detach from the Wii. The Joy-Con. The Joy-Con. You know, one of the interactions is you could just shake it and the hat will fly around and like get coins and hit, yeah. the, hit the Goombas. That's good. Yeah, right now I think he's a little bit leery of touching controllers because when he's watching like we, we will we'll like sometimes set him up with like he likes watching truck videos right now. And what he knows about the PlayStation controller is that if he touches it, Something bad happens. <laughs> like he doesn't get to watch his show anymore, and he needs to come out, come to us for help. A truck dies. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> like when it, whenever an ad plays, you'll say "Whoops," and he'll come to us. Uh, yeah, it's a fun age to be. Like I, I really got a kick out of out of <laughs> setting Riker down and and having him like start to learn. Man, what a fun age! Is such a. Such a thing you can say when you're past that age. (laughs) (laughs) That is really true. What a fun age. (laughs) Like, since Winston was born, people have been saying, oh, what a fun age. That's a great age. Like, I remember when he was, you know, about a year old, uh, we were walking up to the park and uh, this woman said to us, you know, oh, what a sweet boy. That's a fun age. I miss when my boy was that age. And I asked, oh, how old is he now? And she said, oh, 47. <laughs> you kind of peaked. <laughs> yeah, you peaked early. <laughs> I don't remember when we started trying to get Riker to interact with games. And a lot of it was that he, I think the earliest games he interacted with were on our phone. You know, he would see us doing things on our phone. And he wanted to do stuff like, you know, tweet his grandmother a thousand emojis. Yeah. Or text. Uh, text his grandmother a thousand emojis. So I think at that point we ended up downloading some apps for him to just like, you know, doodle on this, phones this is and things like that. The text your grandma app. Right, exactly. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Take that right to the bank. That, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really good, actually. Right, we should, I'm going to come back to we that. We should make that. But yeah, so, you know, I think that was his first exposure to games. And then when we eventually started to get him trying things with the Switch, one of the earliest things was the hat in Odyssey. And I don't remember how they got broken exactly, but we should be like, we should be completely transparent in saying this is not the, like, our Switch does not have its original (laughs) (laughs) Joy-Cons. Yeah. We have gone through a couple sets due to uh, malfunctions. Mm Mm-hmm. User error. I, th- I think they just break themselves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Talk yeah, about sure. impermanent that's, technology. I think like the least permanent technology is a Nintendo Joy-Con. In the hands of a three-year-old. <laughs> in, in anybody's <laughs> hands. Like I broke several Joy-Cons. Like future historians will be like, we've heard of these Joy-Cons. but me it was Riker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. That's, that's how I justified us buying it again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's all the time we have for today's Topic Lords. Okay. Well, thanks for having us, Jim. Uh, thanks so much for being on. It was uh, fun. Mara, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, that's a great question. I have a lot of lockdown social media accounts, but you can always email me at M-A-R-A-C-A-E-L-I-N at gmail.com. And Derek, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? I am on Twitter at Derek Kalen, and I'm also on Mastodon. Uh, where you can find oh, me. the Fediverse. Yes, on the Fediverse. And that's my true self. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, this is the president of the Tinfoil Hat Society right here. She can discuss at a later date. Sure. Um, and I am uh, at Argus at Mastodon.technology. So, see you on the Fetty. <laughs> That's a good domain name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where is where is your Fediverse account hosted, Jim? Um, I don't remember. Let's see. It's I can never remember whether I put an underscore in my name. I did. I am at Mogwai underscore poet at Mastodon.social. Aha. He's on the big one. Mastodon.social is the uh, is the large one. Is the cool kids Yeah, the, the default, the one that everybody goes to unless it's full. Right. I think that's, that's where I see you most online, actually. Oh, that's funny. You're like the realest person on Mastodon to me. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed lords. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it, or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com. You can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early, and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord, where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode.